This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. The Golden Edge Podcast is sponsored by SDN Sports from Station Casinos. SDN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Talks about hockey and a whole lot of other stuff. Uh, I am Ben Goats, one of your Golden Knights beat reporters for the RJ, uh, joined on the line from their self-quarantines, of course, by my colleagues Adam Hill and Dave Shane. Uh, Adam, we are uh, at the start of NFL Draft Week, which I know you're helping out with a lot. Is your head ready to explode yet? Uh, Yeah, I'm pretty much done at this point. I'm uh, checked out mentally. Also, I, I actually, I'll tell you this. I feel like... And Ben, you might know this because you had to go through this um, about a week ago, I think. I was completely like done and I, I felt like, you know, I was really getting beat up by quarantine and I had to shave today and I was like, you know what? I kind of feel like normal again. Like, I think it helped for some, for whatever reason. So uh, I'm, I'm recovering. I'm scrambling, but I think we'll be all right. I just good to change up the routine. I think that's yeah. what I was like. Okay, new me. Um, we're, we're <laughs> at least I'm doing something. Yeah. Uh, which brings me to Dave. Dave, are you still rocking your quarantine beard? Are you the the lone holdout at this point? No, I thought I was. The, I thought I was going to have like a cool story about how I shaved and I felt <laughs> like like a new person. And then Adam comes on and says all the same stuff. My bad. So. Let's, let's start over. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, I finally. It was funny on Sunday night. I was like sitting on the couch and had just finished dinner and was like scratching in my face and was like, that's it. I'm done. I just, I'm tired of this. And I literally just went upstairs like on a whim and was like, gone. It's gone. I'm out of here. I like the, I like the angry shave. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how people have a beard. It's just, ugh, no, I, I can't do it anymore. Can't do it. So it sounds like we're all in a good place, which is great. <laughs> As we continue on uh, through this quarantine, we got another hopefully fun episode for you guys. We've tried to come up with all these different ideas of what we can do. So the theme of uh, this week's episode, which is, of course, sponsored by SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casino and presented by Favor, is the first dance for the Golden Knights. For those of you 
that are plugged into the sports landscape. ESPN is releasing this 10-part Michael Jordan documentary called The Last Dance about the Chicago Bulls' sixth championship season and Michael Jordan's whole career leading up to it and stuff. So I thought it'd be fun to imagine a world where someone does a 10-part documentary on the Golden Knights' first season called The First Dance. So we're going to talk a lot about that and some other random related hockey bits, but I'm excited because I think that would actually be a really good documentary that I would watch. Uh, Adam or Dave, I'll start with you, Adam. Are you plugged in on The the Last Dance? Were you watching Sunday night? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, no question about it. I've been excited for this for a long time. Uh, I, I think it's it's good, and I'm excited about it, and I can't wait to see what the rest is. But I will say, I am a little disappointed that it, it seems so much told from Jordan's perspective. Like, I kind of wanted the inside on Jordan a little bit more, and I feel like he's kind of telling the story and shaping the narrative a little bit. But either way, I'm not going to complain too much because I'm excited about it. And, uh, yeah, I think that there's a lot of other opportunities to make similar type documentaries. I I am all in <laughs> on basically all sports documentaries, but especially now in the time that we're living in right now. Like, this is the, f- the last dance, the first two episodes – that was probably the first like live television program, non bachelor <laughs> category I watched in like years. I just need I was like, oh my gosh, there's like something new on that's sports related. I need to consume it. It's why I'm gonna consume like literally probably twenty four hours of draft coverage over the weekend to my girlfriend's chagrin. <laughs> I just needed something like that. Uh Dave, were you all in on the last dance over the weekend? No, I haven't recorded. What and, and I'll and I'll watch it, but well, like you know, let's see. Like yesterday, I was watching Mystery Alaska, trying oh. to figure out what the hell College Two A is or whatever the hell Burt Reynolds' character apparently played. <laughs> I, I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know this is a hockey podcast, and I don't want to get it in a basketball, but I'm not a Jordan fan. Like <laughs> I've always thought he's overrated i don't like the 30 points on 30 shots and like i could go on all day with this and no, probably no. get adam all riled up no 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 <laughs> you are uh you're, you're speaking my language there buddy uh, oh all right uh, yeah for sure absolutely i mean I, I think he changed the game in a lot of ways and uh he gets he, he listen he, i don't want to say overrated that's that's ridiculous he was an unbelievable player uh but i think greatest of his time i was trying to make that hashtag catch on the goht like relax on just like by far the greatest player ever and the the efficiency numbers terrible by the way watch the highlights contested long twos what are you doing what are you doing <laughs> i love all the all the twitter jokes about the mid-range jumpers oh. have been great and, look and who's I, yeah look who's covering I, it rick carlisle couldn't handle him he's <laughs> easily putting up 60 he came along at the perfect time when highlights and espn and dunking and and being like telegenic yeah. was kind of what it was all about. So, you know, in all of that regard, I, I'm certainly he's a great player, but yeah. Anyway, to answer your question, Ben, I wasn't like <laughs> fired up about like, Oh, a Jordan thing. Cause I'm not a big Jordan guy. So I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'm so excited for our best basketball players of all time podcast next week, which certainly <laughs> seems like it's going to be spicy. Actually, uh, uh, yeah, for actually now, Ben, we can record it right now. LeBron. Okay. We're done. Let's go. I like it. I like where your head's at. But let's let's quick pivot to hockey real quick, because like I said, I want to talk about how the Golden Knights first dance documentary would come together. And I have some some ideas on that. But first, uh, the one piece of hockey news, because just like kind of last week, 
we're kind of in a dead space for NHL news and what the return would look like and stuff, just because everyone's just waiting for more information. Everyone's just kind of on standby, which is fine. But we did hear from Andy Strickland, who's the St. Louis Blues ringside reporter for Fox Sports Midwest, throw out something that we had already kind of assumed, which was players had been told on a recent uh, NHL Players Association call that the cap is likely going to stay flat at $81.5 million this season. That is far from official, but it makes sense to me because this always felt like the most likely outcome, where obviously because revenues are going to have major shortfalls with the loss of games potentially, that the cap is certainly not going to go up. But if the cap goes down, a lot of teams were going to be in trouble and probably be forced to buy out players, which I think ultimately no one wants on either the player's side or the ownership side. So the cap staying flat always seemed like that was probably what's going to happen. As far as where that leaves the Golden Knights, they're projected to be $8.875 million under the cap then with 15 players signed. Uh, Chandler Stevenson, Nick Cousins, and Nicholas Waugh are the Golden Knights' restricted free agents. You would expect all of those guys to be back with slight raises for Cousins and Waugh, a potentially pretty hefty raise for Stevenson. And then Ryan Reeves, John Merrill, Derek England, and Robin Leonard are the Golden Knights' UFAs. You know, Dave, you kind of wrote about Stevenson and what he might be looking at for a contract this week at ReviewJournal.com and just kind of taking him and the rest of that free agent group into account. I don't think, like, the Golden Knights aren't, you know, in a bad spot, even though, you know, they're not going to have as much salary cap space as they probably projected, right? Right, I agree with that. I think the one thing is it probably makes anything with with Leonard and, and squeezing him in obviously much tougher without you know, using that potential compliance buyout if that's what the NHL does for teams and, and allows them to do that. That would give them a little more space. Maybe that's something that they could finagle and, and what have you. But, you know, like I'm kind of adding up like Stevenson, Cousins, Waugh. I mean, they could probably get all three of them for like five million total. Maybe two, two, one ish. And you kind of spread that out. I mean, I don't think that's out of the question. Those guys, maybe the, the difference is there's not a contract like William Carlson looming where you know you're going to have to pay somebody $5 million, $6 million, $7 million, something along those lines, you know, could be a potential um, offer sheet candidate or anything like that. I, there's not really that sort of, I guess, quote unquote, problem to deal with. So in that regard, yeah, I agree with you, Ben. They're, they're not that bad off. No, and I mean, outside of backup goaltender, because you mentioned Robin Leonard there, where they either have to try to re-sign him, which he made $5 million this year, so he would have to take a significant pay cut to stick around unless the Knights make other moves to free up salary cap space. So outside of addressing that position, I mean, Adam, do you think there's a potential move to address another position, or is this just going to be a situation where they re-sign, you know, a lot of these guys we're talking about, and then just kind of hold on to their, you know, keep their powder dry, I guess, in terms of draft picks, other assets they could move, and wait for the trade deadline to make a significant upgrade? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that's probably the direction they go. I also, while, you know, we get this information that the cap's likely to stay the same, which we expected, I, I think there's a lot to still work out in terms of, how contracts are going to be handled. What what are they going to do with, you know, teams like the Golden Knights who made trades, you know, to try to try to solidify their roster for the playoffs that never happened? Do they uh, do they do exceptions for that? Do they change a, a little bit of how, you know, things are structured and worked out? I, I do think there's a lot of mystery based on if the, the rest of the season isn't played at all uh, of what could happen. So I, I, I hesitate to break down a, too much of what the potential plans would be, not knowing 
exactly how all those things are going to be structured and, and worked out down the, down the road. Because I do think there's going to be t- some teams that complain about like you know really building themselves for this year and not having that work out, like not having uh, any conclusion to the season, uh, which is going to be a, a big topic of conversation. So uh, I think there's a lot there, but I think the Golden Knights, as as Dave was pointing out, as you were saying, uh, they're in a spot right now where they've got a few RFAs that they could take care of, and it seems like they'd still have a little bit of flexibility there, but that seems to be something you might hold on to and see what you need to do during the season if you need to make any improvements and have a little bit of cap space and not have to manage it on an hour-to-hour basis like they did this year. Yeah, no, they've got at least a little bit of breathing room. They're not in dire straits, but as you mentioned, Adam, it's not worth really deep diving into until we know just a million more things at this point because we don't know if the season's going to resume, what that would look like, and then obviously then how that would affect the offseason. They say a healthy gut means a healthy you. Favor apple cider vinegar shots? Bottle this feeling into the convenience of a two-ounce shot. Better digestion, stronger immune system, and the lowering of blood sugar levels are just some of the benefits to shooting a daily Favor shot. Their proprietary blends are raw and organic and mixed with other functional ingredients to create a better tasting experience. First-time shooters can go to drinkafavor.com. So I want to move on from that and, of course, talk about my pitch for a 10-part docu-series on the Golden Knights entitled The First Dance, looking at their inaugural season. Uh, For those of you that are kind of thinking this, yes, we're aware that there's a documentary called Valiant out there, which you can actually stream on Amazon Prime, I believe. Uh, But this would be a much more in-depth show because, of course, we got 10 one-hour episodes as opposed to just a one documentary. And so hopefully we'd also be able to do this a little bit further removed because The Last Dance is, of course, coming like 22 years after the season it's documenting. So these guys are, you know, speaking, I think, a little bit more candidly than they would potentially, you know, the next year. Just like I would hope, you know, 20 years from now, a lot of the Golden Knights kind of key figures, most of them who would be retired, would be a little bit more candid kind of on their thoughts and emotions during the season. So that's that's the goal of why we're now turning this into a 10-part docuseries, which I think would just be gold for a number of reasons. And I want to discuss the specific key scenes I want. Uh, number one, just give me all of the expansion draft content that you've got. I want footage of George McPhee working the phone, cackling as he's got you know Chuck Fletcher from Minnesota, Dave Tyen from uh, Florida on the line, just making these ridiculous offers not to take these players. I want to know how George McPhee and Kelly McCrimmon kind of how, what their roster building philosophy was, how, what their initial vision was. Obviously, it kind of turned into this high-flying team that had so much speed. Was that something they were discussing even at the expansion draft, or did that just kind of uh, work out? Uh, Dave, how much do you want to see of the expansion draft if we were to do this docuseries? Yeah, I think there's some cool stuff. So like one of the things I was thinking of is uh, I would love to go back and find uh, – Tomas Nosek and Cody Eakin and Bill Foley and George McPhee and do the oral history of when Bill Foley screwed up the uh, the announcement of the draft pick and he skipped right over Tomas Nosek and went right to Cody Eakin. I know most people don't remember that, but I always remember that part of the the whole production. It was just so you know one of those comedic moments. But yeah, I mean, 
all of this stuff, the behind the scenes thing, like if you could get the text messages between George McPhee when he's got everybody like, you know, hold them over the fire and, you know, the Islanders conversation would be great. Like, yeah, we'll take Baruby, you know, <laughs> what are you going to give us or whatever? And what was, uh, McKay, what was his name? Who's the guy? Uh, oh, I forget his name now. Um, he never played a game. He was in that trade with the Islanders. Uh, Grabowski, Mikhail Grabowski, who had the concussion. Like, I would love them to just like see all those, uh, all those conversations and whatever behind the scenes, like you said, Ben. Yeah. No, and I think this would also be the a great time for the Marc Andre Fleury flashback too. Right before, of course, he got he gets his Knights jersey, he walks on stage. He's like clearly the face of the franchise right away. And I know he was relatively forthcoming at the time, but I would really love for Marc Andre Fleury to kind of open up where he's just coming off this Stanley Cup run with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And how mad is he actually about the fact that Pittsburgh's just looking to dump him after all that he kind of did for that franchise? How much was he potentially not looking forward to moving away from the one franchise he had played for and moving to, you know, Las Vegas, where he was probably, I mean, in his head, I assume he's thinking, I'm going to lose 40 games a year now. You know, he's not going to be where he is now, where he's, you know, climbing the all-time wins list. He's probably thinking that he's not going to do that. And in fact, maybe his Hall of Fame chances are hurt because he doesn't get these kind of counting stats that he ultimately ended up getting. And so, I don't know, Adam, this is like a huge kind of sliding doors moment for Marc-Andre Fleury's (laughs) career, is it not? It could have gone really bad. And I wonder if he's thinking at the time, like, oh, this could potentially just be really bad for me. I mean, good reference on the sliding doors moment. That's uh, Thank very, you. very cinematic of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously he had no idea what was going to happen. Nobody is. I I can't imagine anybody would even tell you looking back that they thought, you know, what was going to happen would actually happen uh, at that time. That's not well phrased, but either way, uh, no nobody expected that. And Mark Andre Fleury could have expected that. I'm sure the competitive part of him was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be able to go out there and carry this team a little bit. Uh, no matter how bad they are, like I, I can, you know, cover up some some goals, some potential goals, and you know, at least help them be competitive. And I'm sure his, you know, that that nature of him was was driving him to believe that he could make something out of it. But at the same time, you're right. I mean, I think you look at it as, hey, I, I'm exiled to this weird place in the desert that that has knows nothing about hockey, that doesn't care about hockey. It's 150 degrees. The ice will probably melt every night. Like, there's probably all these thoughts in his mind of like, this sucks. And then you get here and you're like, wow, okay, uh, this, is, this is something different. And I'm sure after he started to see some guys play a little bit, he's like, all right, I, I guess we have some talent. And, um, you know, f- I'm, once you move in, you realize how awesome of a city it is. And I'm sure it's that. But, yeah, at the time, I would love if you could get, like, some footage of, you know, like what he's actually thinking, like, inside his head, that would be amazing. No, it would be crazy, especially because he's coming off, you know, a playoff run with Pittsburgh where he actually – you know, Matt Murray was the starter in the final, but Marc-Andre Fleury started most of the Penguins playoff games at this point. So I'm sure it was, you know, a a big career high and then also a career low where he plays a big role on the Stanley Cup winning team, gets sidelined for the actual final, and then gets shipped off to the expansion team. And of course, it ended up working out better than anyone could have dreamed. But like I said, it's a it's a big crossroads in his career. And so it'd be interesting to get his thoughts and then uh, next scene after the expansion draft, uh, I need as much 
locker room stuff as possible during training camp as these guys like all just like try to get to know each other. I want to see whatever random team bonding activities they do, whatever archival stuff they got of the team retreat to Foley Ranch. Give <laughs> it to me. Uh, and then, of course, we got to get to know Gerard Gallant, who is now a more interesting figure kind of, I think, for like a docuseries where now you're bringing in kind of the perspective of what ultimately happened to him with the franchise. But of course, you know, at the time he's trying to figure out how he pulls all these kind of random parts together. And I'd love to hear what he thought he was going to be able to get out of this roster at first, because, you know, the fascinating thing to me is looking back at that year, their initial lines were not what the lines they ended up rolling with, you know, kind of through the playoffs. I mean, William Carlson, I believe, started on the third line. I mean, guys are just all over the place. You know, obviously there's Vadim Shipashev, that whole saga. Um, there's so much happening there where they're trying to fit these pieces together. And I would love to kind of be a fly on the wall for all that stuff. Uh, wouldn't you, Dave? Yeah, the Shipashev thing would be the most interesting to me. Just because I would love to know, like, behind the scenes, you know, if there was, I guess, chatter about his work ethic or, or how all that, that shook out. Um, the other one I'm really curious about is, is the whole misfits thing and James Neal and the original kind of text message, I guess that started that whole thing. Cause you know, it's funny. Like I always think back in, in kind of revisionist history. And it's funny because I'm, I'm almost positive. It was Belmer who really early on, made a reference to them being kind of the misfits and on the misfit Island or something. And maybe it was because, you know, he's not an English first speaker and he speaks great English, but it didn't come out like quite clear. And it was kind of a funny thing, but everybody glanced over it. And so I wonder how much of it was going on at that point with the misfits and, and, and all of that, 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 that would be fun to me, and then just the, the competition for the jobs in training camp, I'd love to know, kind of like you said, how, you know, how they behind the scenes talked about everybody. I mean, Cody Eakin was your first line center on opening night. Oscar Lindbergh was centering your second line. So, I mean, yeah, it was just, it's it's so funny to look back on it now and, and then how it progressed through that year. But I'd love to know why Jason Garrison was basically your first first pair defenseman, you know, at that point. No, it would be just uh, fascinating to hear all of that. And then obviously next there's the October one stuff. And, you know, it's it's weird because I don't want to obviously skip over it because it's hugely important. But I think, I mean, that part of the story is actually very well told, which is um, great. But, I mean, it need to be at least probably t- even two episodes of just the tragedy, how the team responded, how the city responded to the team's response. You know, obviously the planning of that first home game where they had to scrap a lot of their plans and do a tribute. You know, you'd have to go behind the scenes with Derek England and then his speech and kind of his preparation for that. Um, Obviously the lifting of the banner and all that stuff is just great. Um, Even though, like I said, I think it's relatively well-traveled at this point, but it's so necessary and still obviously so powerful and such an important part of this city's history. So I think just those first 10 days in October would be a huge storyline. And then of course there's the rest of the regular season after that, where you've got the goalie injuries, you've got that Tampa game where Shea Theodore scores late. And I think Adam, you've written about it where that's the game where, okay, all of a sudden it goes from 
this is a really nice story to, oh, these guys, at least in the locker room, believe that they're for real now, that that game was kind of the the trigger for the confidence that grew in that locker room, right? Yeah, I almost remember, you know, it, it was everybody was so excited about the start and how they were playing and wow, this team is so much better than everybody expected. But even in the locker room, you'd hear some kind of tempered expectations of like, hey, you know, you guys are new to this. It's a long season. You know, a lot of times you get hot for a while and, you know, you just never know. You don't really know how your team is until, you know, these benchmarks like Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, how are you at this point? And and then I, I feel like it was after that game where it was such a dramatic win, such an amazing moment inside the building where it was like, okay, this is really not just some like, you know, fluky, like upstart team playing above their heads. Like this is a legitimately, you know, good team that could contend for some serious, um, you know, so, some serious things at the end of the season. That was a real turning point. So I think that would have to be a, a very prominent part of it. Yeah. And then, of course, the regular season, you can go through Carlson's big between the legs goal against the Sharks that clinches the division. You've got you could do an episode on the first two rounds where, I mean, the King series was a sweep, but obviously it was still a pretty fun series in terms of you've got the overtime, the double overtime. There's some fun games there. Same with the Shark series that went six and it becomes obviously a kind of a launching point for a lot of the stuff that would kind of uh, boil the next year. And uh, having Pete DeBoer sit down for that part of this documentary would be <laughs> fascinating, kind of for the opposite reasons why having Jar Glant sit down for other parts of the documentary would be fascinating. And then I want a lot of Winnipeg stuff in the conference final where they had a breakout year just like the Knights in a lot of ways. They were kind of built in a pretty similar way, I would say, where they're, you know, some pretty fast paced, high scoring teams. Their blue lines weren't great, but they made it work. And then the Knights, of course, in that series go down 3 nothing in the first period of Game 1. And a lot of people, including myself, I will own this, were like, yep, this is finally, they've kind of finally hit their ceiling. They had a really good run up to this point, but this is probably going to be where it ends for them. And then after allowing three goals in that first period of Game 1, the Knights allow seven goals the rest of the series. That's 13 more periods. They, you know, sweep the last four games of the series, they go down one, nothing in the series, win the next four. And so I would love to know what happened, what changed in that series. And then when they kind of knew they figured Winnipeg out, because all of a sudden, you know, Dave, once they beat Winnipeg, it's really, I mean, this is makes sense because they're in the final, but really it's like, okay, wow, this team just has whatever it is. They had it. At least that was my feeling at the time. Yeah. I mean, certainly I think that it, probably had been snowballing from from early on like we talked about maybe even before that Tampa game I mean I know for me it was kind of right around Thanksgiving I don't remember who it was but there was a a couple games in there and and you you heard the players start to shift in in some of the things that they were saying uh the 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 kind of reservation of you know we'll we'll kind of see how it goes we expect some bumps in the road all that went out the window and and you never really heard that anymore um I mean, the, the Winnipeg series and, and kind of how that all built, I, I'd be really curious to know if you could sit down Jonathan Marcheseau after game two and, and obviously his comments and then kind of backing it up. And, you know, certainly he's, you know, we've talked about him as, as whether he would make a good captain or not. And I'm, I'm certainly on the record as saying that I don't think he's necessarily a captain, but 
every now and again, a guy like him will speak up and back it up on the ice, and that has a big effect on the team. And I think what he did in Game 2 and then coming home in that series in Game 3, I'd love to, to know about Flurry and those saves. Like, if you could get him, and I know he did, like, at some point, certainly it was written about and all that, but if you could really, really, really get Flurry to break down, like, the diving save against Shifley at home and and that sequence and some of the other stuff, because I, I just felt like that was really when you noticed how much the the crowd in Vegas can really affect things. You saw it during the regular season that year and, and, and all that, but it matters in the playoffs. You know, can a crowd affect things in the playoffs and especially Winnipeg with the whiteout and, and everything. It had such a reputation for it, but it's really when I feel like Vegas started to build its reputation as a, as a tough playoff place to play. Um, and, and, and then those two games, it, it'd be fun to know, you know, where they were at at three, one. And then after, you know, Reeves scoring that goal, um, there were so many unsung heroes and and guys that fit into the story and in kind of these weird sidebar ways um, that would just make for for such fun stories to to hear. You know, Lucas Spiza and you know in in his play in Game Five and 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 how he factored in it, it. That to me would be the fun part. Yeah, and then of course you go right into the final, which is just so rich and would be an incredible episode where you've got. You know, the, that Capitals team, the core of which is built, of course, by George McPhee. And then uh, in a weird twist of fate, his number two guy, Brian McClellan, is their general manager who then tweaked the Capitals to get them over the hump, which is just a really weird subplot that I find fascinating where it feels like it's not very often a team fires its longtime general manager, which the Capitals did to McPhee, and then just promotes his right-hand man, which is like, we like most of what you're doing, but we just want someone else to be making the final decisions, which obviously worked out for the Capitals, but it's just weird. And then you've got the ebbs and flows of that series, which despite the fact that it only lasted five games was really fun, where game one's just an absolute shootout. You've got the save, Holtby on Tuck in game two, and then that really back and forth fun deciding game five. I mean, that was a really, really fun uh, hockey matchup. Uh, and so, Adam, I think you could just really dive deep into those five games, despite the fact that they didn't last that long. Um, yeah, I think there's no question about that. And I would, man, if if you guys could include, uh, and I, I mean you guys, the, the makers of the movie, just the ridiculous traveling circus that was the RJ crew at the time, that would be a, a fascinating part of the documentary as well. What a what a <laughs> what a collaboration of uh, of characters that was just kind of touring the capital and uh, and hanging out and you know meeting with senators and it was it was a very weird very weird experience. But yeah, it was it was a great time and it would be just a phenomenal story to be told. I think from from start to finish. There's I think we can do more than ten episodes on this. You know, let's pitch it. I'll get Netflix on the line. We will see what we can do because mainly because, Adam, of course, you pointed out that the RJ Traveling Circus would be great. Mainly I want this to happen because I want to be, you know, the old crusty beat writer that always (laughs) appears in these documentaries. Like you got Sam Smith who wrote uh, obviously a phenomenal book on Michael Jordan, too, called The Jordan Rules. But you've got to have that guy, the writer that was around, given the outside perspective on the team. I think we could be those guys. I, I think we could really provide a lot of value to this documentary. So 
Netflix, if you want to holler at me, come holler at me for the first dance. I will be copywriting that. So you will need to go through me in order to get this done. Uh, guys, thank you so much for participating in this uh, silly exercise I came up with. Uh, thank you to SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos for sponsoring us. Thanks to Favor for presenting us. And thank you guys, the listeners, for listening to another kind of weird rambling podcast where we try to take a couple detours as we wait for hockey to return. Uh, make sure to check out all our coverage at ReviewJournal.com because we're still trying to pump out content for you guys to keep you, you know, informed of what's going on in the team and the NHL. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do with podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. Please do with this podcast and please sure make sure to check us out next week as we come up with another random topic that hopefully you guys will enjoy. For Dave Shane and Adam Hill, I'm Ben Goats. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.